0: Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Priya Gupta from Triangle Eye Consultants in Raleigh, North Carolina, and with me today I have Dr. Brandon Ayers from the Wills Eye Hospital in Philadelphia, and we are just so excited to be here today. Um, We're going to talk to you about a topic that's near and dear to both of us, um, meibomian gland disease. Recently, a group of 12 experts got together uh, to discuss different types of interventional MGD treatments and how those differ from other types of palliative and um, prescription-based MGD treatments. Today, our discussion will focus on the key consensus findings um, from the panel of experts. So Brandon, let's start by talking a little bit about how we treat MGD. Um, You know, we talk a lot about diagnosing MGD and finding these patients and and knowing that they're not all symptomatic, but once you find them, we've got to do something with them. So um, let's just start with, you know what we call the over-the-counter therapies, or you know the supportive care um, type treatments.
1: So treatment for me is is very much a, a pyramid type thing, where I've got my my basics that we're going to treat for almost everybody. And I'm sure you can you know what I'm going to say, right? It's it's lid scrubs, warm compresses, and massage. You, I I don't think you're doing very much for your patient if you just heat up the lids and don't do anything. So I really educate them that I want them to sort of push on the lids, trying to evacuate the oil from the uh, the embomium glands and then wash things away um, the nutraceuticals there's some argument over how well they work omega-3 fatty acids mm-hmm. but I have very rarely had a patient come in to say hey you know what I don't like these or I, ha- I have a problem with them so if a third of the patients or 50% of the patients feel like they're getting better with omega-3s I will use them for everybody because mm-hmm. there's just not much of a, of a downside lid cleansers Cleaning away any bacteria, whether it's purely MGD or there's some staphylococcal uh, organisms or maybe it's even Demodex, there's so much uh, interplay with lid margin disease, I like to clean the lid margins. Then you've got your anti inflammatories, uh, whether you're using topical steroids, antibiotics to, to, to clean the lids, or uh, to act as an anti inflammatory. For me, that's going to be my, my basic starting regimen for most patients in some way, shape or form. And sometimes I start them all and sometimes I start them one at a time. Yep. How about yourself? Where you know, do you begin- I mean,
0: the, those are all the same therapies that that I would put in that sort of foundational bucket. Um, the problem that I have with these therapies is a lot of them, they're time consuming. They're, they're, they're just, uh, I can barely take a multivitamin at night. So when I, um, I, I kind of have a sheet in our clinic that I Say here, <laughs> these are all the things that you can try, mm-hmm. and the patient sort of looks at you like a deer in headlights. And you know, some people embrace it and are all into it and do the whole thing, and other people are like, "Yeah, I'm going to try it. Okay, great." <laughs> and so, you know, it's no wonder that some of these therapies kind of get a bad rap because, for a lot of these patients that are you know coming to see us, they're not typically in the mild category. I I I, th- I always tell everybody, these are things that you can do. They may work for you, they may not work for you, and if it's enough, that's great. We don't have to do anything else. But it doesn't really, um, for a lot of, the vast majority of our patients, it doesn't really um, address you know, the full component of, of all of what's driving their symptoms. So, um, you know, I think patients like to try things that are not medicines and they like to know what they can have control over, but ultimately life is busy. And
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think these, the, this, this, uh, the beginning treatment only addresses maybe one component of lid margin disease. Cause I sort of put these into two buckets. You've got, uh, you've got inflammation mm-hmm. and you have obstruction. Right. And so we typically try to treat the inflammation with our topical therapies. That's our steroids or antibiotics or warm compresses, lid scrubs. Because the the lid scrubs, it, I don't think they do that great of a job at evacuating the, the mybum. So you've got to address the obstruction. And this is the interventional side of this Very talk. Much. And so I think we need to talk about different ways of actually physically intervening and helping our patients get better. Absolutely, uh, with so
0: let's talk a little bit about some of the interventional therapies that are out there. I could not agree with you more. Addressing gland obstruction is a foundational therapy to adequately treating MGD as is inflammation management. So let's talk about um, ILUX. So this is a semi-automated thermal pulsation system. Um, it's a handheld device and um, there's an LED light that actually melts the mybom- um, mybomian gland secretions and a magnifier so you can actually visualize what's what you're expressing this is one
1: that looks a little bit like a squirt gun
0: absolutely so the lid gets captured between it the led light heats and then you can actually customize the pressure um, to the amount needed to actually evacuate the glands Um, it's a pretty quick treatment it takes 8 to um, 12 minutes or so Um, patients you know find it tolerable, well-tolerated, et cetera. Um, and was, there's was a clinical trial that found it to be non-inferior to uh, lipophilothermal pulsation. So um, to me, you know, this is a great um, treatment that's focused on uh, getting rid of the obstruction within the glands um, and it's safe and well-tolerated. And so, you know, I think that these patients that do well with the, these types of therapies are ones that um, have obstruction as their primary issue. Um, and this
1: is a treatment that you perform yourself or do you designate this to a ascetician or somebody else in the office?
0: Yeah, in my clinic, it's, I, I do delegate it, delegate it to our um, kind of lead dry eye procedure uh, person who is a technician. Um, I also have an optometrist in my practice that also does these procedures. And so, um, you know, to me, I think that it's very important to have somebody that's passionate and excited about these treatments that's delivering that care because the patients, they often have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. They often um, want to know about the technology um brandon walk us through lipiflow because I, I feel like you know we should cover these LipaFlow is
1: the the og of lid margin <laughs> treatment right this was the first uh the, the first, first FDA approved the first oh. FDA approved treatment is this uh vector automated uh vector thermal pulsations It's basically a um a device that has these little cups that go onto the eye and that cup separates the the heat from the eye and, and it puts it on the tarsal plate then it just has basically these automated air bladders that as the lid heats, it puts pressure on the lid and it is essentially fully automatic. Um, There is some setup involved and you need to, you know, you have to properly position the, the activators, but once you do that, you hit go and about 14 minutes later, you come back and it's done. Um, there's When we were doing this or when we do do this, we try and add a little bit to this experience because this is something that we, we want this to be a positive experience for patients. So just putting them on the eye and saying, I'll see you in 14 minutes probably <laughs> isn't good enough. So, you know, we would clean the lids, we debride the lids, and I think many times we are kind of mixing and matching some of these therapies. Um, talk to the patient about what's going on, what they're gonna experience. And then we turn the machine on, and it, and it it was it started this whole segment of interventional therapy. So I think every device we're going to talk about owes a little bit of thanks to the LipaFlow.
0: Absolutely, I think one of the advantages of um, the LipaFlow thermal pulsation is that it is somewhat automated, right? So you can it is plug and play. You can place it. I also think that there's value to the um, the inner eyelid surface is is where the heating contact mm-hmm. comes in, and so kind of unique. Uh, to lipoflow. And I think
1: that, right, lipoflow is the only one that heats mm-hmm. from the inside, which is right where the Bobomia glands are. Yeah. So I, I think it makes sense. And now, something else that we've used in our office is, the, is tear care or the tear care system. This is a little bit different um, where it's external heat. Uh, very straightforward to use. There are these little uh, metallic stickers, if you will, that you put on the upper and lower lid, and that connects to a microcomputer and that regulates heat um it, it's been shown to be not inferior to lipoflow as well so we know it works at least as well as lipoflow and what i like about this and some like this and some don't is i become the compression mm-hmm. so after i think it's about 14 15 minutes the heat comes off and then we sit down with a little flat paddled um uh, forcep and i'm looking at the patient and i can actually look at the lid do the, the compressions, I regulate the pressure, I regulate where they need more or less treatment, and I can see the quality of the mybone coming out. So in some ways, I really like the uh, the manual expression, and it's actually a little bit on the fun side, if, you, if you're a, you know, <laughs> yes. that kind of a person.
0: Well, you know what, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I actually, I like the customizable nature to tear care, um, and the heating, they've done studies where they look at the temperature um, the device itself it looks very simple but it's actually a lot of science and technology mm-hmm. that goes into um, what I love is the simplicity there's a lot yep. of science but it's very simple to to place
1: very simple the I anatomy think anatomy
0: variance is less yep. of an issue low
1: cost of entry this is not an expensive device and it's effective um, and we see you know within a week or two the mm-hmm. surface gets better so this is a uh, it works quite quickly, so it's low cost of entry, it's very portable, and it works well in our office because we've got multiple locations and I can literally put it in my pocket and go from one yeah, place to another. absolutely.
0: Um, and then, you know, last but not least, so uh, we should talk a little bit about IPL, Intense Pulse Light Therapy. So this is, you know, I think about this less for relieving obstruction, although we do pair it with my and Gland Expression, but i kind of use this treatment more for my uh, rosacea dominated patients where they have maybe that facial rosacea but certainly along the eyelid a lot of the telangiectasias associated that bring inflammation and um, eventually cause obstruction and, and gland issues so um, this is a treatment that is done in the office there's eye protection you apply the light across the cheeks and nose the patients come back for um, a, four, a series of four treatments. About every three or four weeks, they have a single treatment. So it's, you know, it's a little bit more involved than the other therapies and requires a little more time commitment for the patients. But especially in the rosacea dominated patients, I think that becomes um, just a, a value add. They get a side cosmetic benefit plus so the MGD I, benefit. I can't
1: speak myself from experience because I don't have an IPL machine. We brought one in and we used it prior to it being FDA approved. And this is now an approved device for lid margin disease. Um, It is very much, in my opinion, a spa type therapy. There's a lot that goes into it. You have to look at the skin color. But I I think the science behind it is fantastic and it may get to both the obstruction and the anti-inflammatory component all in one. So I think IPL actually plays a really nice role in the right setting and with the right uh, practice.
0: Absolutely. One question that I get Brandon a lot is, you do you pick one and then that's it or do you use multiple therapies um so of the ones that you have access to um, is there anything you're combining it with or do you use more than one?
1: So I almost always use more than one. Um, like I mentioned before, you've got your inflammation and you've got your obstruction. So I'm, I'm always using something to help with the inflammatory component and something to help with the obstruction component. And sometimes uh, we use multiple on both sides. And so we'll use azithromycin, a topical steroid, lid and I'll add something Uh, some lid margin debridement, like a a blefex, which we didn't talk about here, but something to sort of scrub the lids, and then a flow or uh, a tear care. Um, And sometimes they need more than one treatment. Uh, A lot of the studies show that the effect may actually wane after six months, nine months, or a year. And so this isn't necessarily a set it and forget it, a do it once and you're done. It may need multiple treatments.
0: Absolutely. I think that is so critical for patients to understand that, you know, this is... A fact-finding mission as much as it is a treatment because I've, I've certainly had patients that you know kind of look the same but one responds better to one treatment than the other um, and then also I, I, I love the concept as you mentioned of, of combining um, lid margin debridement with any of these uh, therapies that help to address obstruction. I think there's a lot to bacteria, biofilm and things mm-hmm. like that, that we're just learning. And so absolutely for those of you that are out there, you know, I would say pick one treatment, start somewhere, um, It's it, you don't have to have everything that we talked about to have an effective way to treat MGD. But as you get more comfortable and as you see more patients, I think it's natural to add you know, more technologies to your practice. I think
1: that uh, you shouldn't expect to treat somebody, you know, see a patient diagnose mm-hmm. and treat and be successful right at the first yeah. treatment. And I often will tell patients we're on a journey together and we're going to try a couple of different therapies. Um, there's going to be some recipe that we're going to try and find that's going to keep them comfortable and keep them healthy. And I might not find that, the first try. Um, we'll see what works for them and what fits into their schedule and, and what therapies work best for them. And eventually we'll do our best to get them at their best.
0: I, I think you're, you're hitting on a really important thing for everybody out there. Um, it's important to set expectations. Patients don't understand this disease as well as you know you, you as a clinician understand it. And sometimes they think that a single therapy is going to be a cure. And I, I start every conversation with my dry eye MGD patients that. Dry eye, MGD, whatever you want to call what you have, it is a chronic condition. Um, these are not, we don't have cures. We have excellent ways to treat it, excellent ways to modify symptoms to make life, you know, much more pleasant and, and tolerable, but they sh- at no point should they expect that they're not going to have to do something or come in for a treatment.
1: I have a very similar approach. I'll tell my patients that their, their diagnosis one of the, is one of the easier ones to make, but one of the hardest to effectively treat. And we've got multiple therapies that maybe, uh, that, or that we can employ for them, and I'm not sure exactly which one's going to be the best for them. So it really is a journey together, and I want their feedback to see you know what's working for them. And as as more therapies come on board, you know we can try more and more things for them. But the beautiful thing is now we have all of these treatments mm-hmm. that we can use. You know, just it wasn't that long ago where we didn't have any of this, and this this. Um, kind of segment, if you will, is growing and growing, and we have medications that will be coming out in the near future for even more therapeutic options for patients. And so, luckily, this is a a growing sector, and it seems like every couple of months, we have something new that we can use for our patients.
0: It is very exciting. So that kind of brings us to our our, um, next consensus question for the panel of experts. So they were asked after um, using an interventional MGD treatment, what percentage of these patients have a significant reduction of MGD signs and symptoms three months after the treatment? So um, the panel of experts said that on average, they felt like 65% of um, the patients actually um, you know, had an improvement. I, I would say, I don't know, What is that your experience? Is it higher? Is it lower?
1: Um, this is a frustrating disease to treat, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say that all of my patients after a treatment feel like they are healed, but I think that more than 65% feel like they moved the right direction on the scale. Um, it, it, that may last six months, nine months, it may wear off, but I, I actually, I think for me, this figure is a little bit on the low end. I I think we do a better job
0: than that. Yeah, I I mean, we do a lot of these treatments in our practice and um, it's interesting, you know, they asked about the signs and the symptoms. So in my own personal experience, I think it's probably 90 plus percent where the actual physical signs. So is there tear break time improved? Is the oil that's coming out more um, liquid? I think that happens with almost all of these Mm -hmm. patients. Symptoms is a different bucket, in my opinion, just like yours, that, you know, they don't live in a bubble. There's a lot of things that are contributing to symptoms. There's comorbid conditions, environment, you know, lifestyle, and it's hard for us as clinicians to take responsibility for all of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what I tell patients there is that if... If they don't, they, they may look better but don't feel better, but the, you can, it's really hard to feel better if you don't look better. So that might be Absolutely. just the first step in their therapy and now will work on some, some other topicals to get them feeling better. So I think anything moving in the right direction is positive for the patients and you should focus on that when you're talking to those patients, especially the ones who are a bit frustrated with their symptoms. If we're seeing some signs on exam that are improving, hopefully the symptoms will follow. But yes, it's a frustrating disease and it doesn't, Always
0: Absolutely. Happen. But I think that, you know, this this conversation and, and, and even reflecting back on the, the panel of experts really felt strongly about incorporating interventional MGD therapy. So um, the panel was asked how important was it to incorporate a modern interventional MGD treatment into the standard sort of treatment practice pattern for um, these OSD patients. And 11 out of 12 agreed that it's important and very important to uh, incorporate these devices. And I, I have to agree.
1: Yep, that's the that's the obstruction. For me, that's how we alleviate the obstruction. We can do the, the inflammation with topicals, but if you can't get to the obstruction side of things, and that's the interventional part, mm-hmm. we're only halfway fixing things.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes as clinicians, we get hung up on, you know, a lot of these therapies are not covered by insurance and it's an out-of-pocket cost. And so we get caught up in, you know, Saying to ourselves, oh no, if I'm if I'm asking a patient to pay for something, it you know it has to be cure-like. And I think really the more you treat these patients, the more you're going to realize that there is value, mm-hmm. and you have to d- define what that value is yeah. to yourself and the patient. Yeah. And,
1: and you know what? Luckily for for us, a lot of these treatments they don't break the bank, right? And so we can say, hey, let let's give it a try, and if it doesn't work, we'll try something different. Um, So if if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And, you know, I think as long as your patients are on board with that, um, you know, the cost, that they're not terribly disappointed if something didn't work, at least they're trying. And a lot of these patients are searching for a cure and they're willing to try almost anything, especially in these more symptomatic patients.
0: And and I I love how you just said that because it really is kind of a partnership. So um, in our practice, you know, we don't force patients to get these procedures. Mm-hmm. I present all the different options, and for patients that, you know, kind of say, you know what, I want to try all this other stuff first, no problem. It, it's a partnership, it's a discussion on wh- how you're going to iron out their treatment plan. Yeah. There's other patients where, you know, they'll say, you know what, I don't want to be on a medicine. I would rather try this first. Is that okay? And so, To me, I think kind of managing that conversation around cost is making sure that your patients don't feel like you're selling them something, but
1: rather you're You're offering them a medical therapy. Yeah, you're offering treatment, and we do the same thing. Say, hey, look, we've already tried this, this, and this. Your Mm -hmm. next therapy is gonna be to go to something a little bit bigger, a bit more interventional. And if you wanna do that, we can do that. And if you don't want to, we don't have to. But I think to get you to the next step, we gotta try something. Um, And I think they're very accepting of that. Most of these procedures are at least do no harm. Mm -hmm. And the majority of the time, you do see uh, an improvement in clinical uh, signs and symptoms. Very often, yeah.
0: So. I think you know, if we're going to summarize some of our key take home points here, um, I think it's really important to kind of lay out a roadmap for the patient. You know, we, we've talked a lot about how important these interventional MGD therapies are. I think you should bring it up you know, from the first time you see the patient. It doesn't have to be the first time that you're going to do the procedure on the first time, but if you can take, you know, the plethora of therapies that are out there, boil it down to kind of two or three, you know, major treatment uh, pathways, for the patient and then let them decide. If, you know, the, the worst that happens is it takes longer to treat them. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know?
1: yep. So I think my take home point from this, uh, as you started out with kind of line up what treatments are available, my take home point is make this a partnership with the patient so they know what's out there and they know that I'm there to help walk them through this to try and get them better.
0: Yeah, that's so, really the key.
1: So get your treatments ready, be a partner with your patients, have some kind of interventional treatment that you can offer for your patients. one, two, and three. Love
0: it. And if any of you are interested in a more in-depth discussion of our consensus findings, I invite you to read the full supplement in CRST and modern optometry. Brandon, thanks so much for coming today. It's great to chat with you as always.